Well, I did something recently that reminded me of uh, a sales conference, the last major sales conference I went to, which was one that Pivotal had in San Diego. Now, this was, maybe it was in 2018? No, it must have been 2017, because that was the year that uh, Pivotal, Pivotal and I talked about me moving to Europe, and it started off at that sales conference. And I moved in August 2018, so it must have been... 20, I, I don't know, so, somewhere in there. Who knows? It took a long time. But, so, you know, I got these house shoes. I think I probably even talked about them on this ep- this podcast if you rolled back the episodes. And they're like, they're some, you know, Hawaiian brand. I'll, I'm wearing them right now. They have like, they have like a Maui hook on them. And uh, mm, beautiful. Uh-huh. They've, yeah, they've got like, uh, they're called O-L-U- K-A-I. Despite Moana being my daughter's favorite movie, so I watch it, you know, one to 20 times a day. I can't pronounce, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, and they've got sheepskin in there, and they've got, like, they're solid shoes. they got nice rubber there. And I remember I bought them. I remember we had this discussion. I was like, these seem like the perfect all-around shoe. They're very soft. They're slip-on shoes. And so I wore them out. not in as to use them until they are worn down, but I wore them out to that sales conference because mm-hmm. um, they were great. And you could start living my dream of not wearing socks, right? Right. Like you just, you oh, just wait like, I thought you said they were house shoes, but you're wearing yeah, them at that, the conference. Like you've I'm been paying confused. attention. That's good. Yeah? That's good. Right. Okay. So I, I was trying to kind of like, you know, move them. I was trying to get the one shoe, you know, the the mm-hmm. one shoe sort of thing going. And and I realized that this was not going to work after uh, I think I had been walking around. And if you wear uh, like sheep fur lined shoes, right, even mm-hmm. even in like the kind of cool San Diego uh, uh, sort of winter time, like it just gets way too hot. Like it's not breathable, oh, right? Yeah. There's some mm-hmm. there's something about, and then confusingly, this is probably like one of those you know Mister Wizard episodes that I missed. But for some reason, if you put socks on, this solves the hotness problem, right? Like it's very like putting mm. socks, putting more fabric on, so that you don't have like direct contact with like the sheepskin fur stuff. Like it just kind of solves the problem, which is weird. So, anyways, uh, my dreams were dashed of being able to wear these shoes as just like my all shoes. I actually, I remember I went to go buy some shoes at some little surf shop. They were cool shoes, but I, I fall into this trap all the time. I bought the shoes too small. Uh, and like, you know, I didn't really, I was just too rushed at the time, but I went walking the dog with my daughter, uh, recently. And I came back from walking the dog and I was like, Oh, I was wearing my house shoes that whole time. Right. Like I tried to, I I could change my shoes out and she was like, daddy, oh, you're so crazy. Right. Like she's, she's very, <laughs> she likes to remind me how much of a doofus I am. I don't know where, how, where she gets that from. And so my thinking is Brandon, like, like how many times my question is how many times can you accidentally wear your house shoes out of the house before they become like, you know, out of the house shoes. You know what I mean? Like the first time you do it, you're probably like, oh man, it's, it's like, you know, it's like opening like the comic book pack, right? Like, like it used the comic books wrong. It's like opening some package of a toy and it's like a big step once you've taken it outside. And maybe right. you're like, maybe you're like, you know, it's okay if I do it a few more times, but like at some point I feel like there's a tipping point 
where like every day I'm just like wearing the house shoes to go take the garbage out. Right. Like I just switch and I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to do the Mr. Rogers thing where I take off these shoes and put these shoes on for outside. It's just like, these are just, these are just shoes now that I just wear in and out. All of right. House. I do. I have an immediate metric for you. I think once every 90 days and also to it be counted as a, an official outing of house shoes. It means like you had to be out for like, 15, 20 minutes and you had to actually go somewhere. Like if you're just taking the trash out, like, you know, grabbing something off the front porch, mm. you're know, doing something. I believe like I actually put that in the house shoot category of like, you're just around your house and you're just stepping out for like a moment, you know, like greeting a neighbor, whatever. Like that's like, to me, that's still a function of a house shoot. It doesn't, I don't have this line yeah. where like as soon as it goes outside, it doesn't. But what I see happen some, with some people um, like my son has some house shoes, which is like yet another story. But anyway, one night he like wore them out. Right. And they're like very, their slip-ons are very comfortable, but I guess they're not super. I, I think they're fine. They're fine fashion wise, but like he wore them out accidentally to like a group of them with kids. And he was like very quick to show everyone like, Hey, these aren't, I know I wore my house shoes. It was an accident. Like he, he was volunteering. And I was like, if you don't still say anything, I don't think anyone noticed, but it was like, but to him, it was like, no, no, this isn't on purpose. This was just a mistake. And of course, we don't even have a requirement of house shoes. This is just on his own. So, but anyway, I told him, I was like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Like, we'll just take them off. But I think once I said, once every 90 days, and, and then it resets. And then you get like, a, you know, kind of a, another chance. But if, yeah, if, if you're doing it like, you know, twice, two or three times a week, then at some point, yeah, you just retire them as house shoes. They've just become shoes, right? Yeah, like, they're just like, regular shoes. Yeah, yeah, they're just shoe yeah. shoes. So. yeah. Yeah. That, okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, you know, I think, I think maybe, you know what, and this has happened before. I mean, now, now that we, I might start traveling more, it's happened at least once where I'll be at the airport and I'm like, holy shit, I forgot to change my shoes. And <laughs> I think, I think I bought the, the current Converse I have, I think I bought because I was out, I was at Skiffold and I looked down and I was wearing these shoes and, and it, it's, that's like, uh, that's some sort of travel achievement. I'm not sure if it's a good one, but I definitely have that badge. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Do you have a worn-out Post-it note with all your passwords on it? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. You can automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. And you can eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by the fine folks at Betterment, Peloton, SoFi, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. Don't take my word on it. Check out StrongDM for yourself with a free demo. Sign up at strongdm.com SDT. That's strongdm.com SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, I'm sure it's just some sort of happy coincidence of needing something to talk about, but but here it is. It looks like, uh, what, what do they call it, Brandon? It looks like the great resignation has finally hit the ranks of tech company executives and CEOs. You got, you got, you got the Splunk CEO going out. Okta hired someone from Splunk. 
it looks like uh you know there's some stuff going on over there uh at, at Dynatrace and uh you know on and on and on right and and it does you know in some of these instances where people the the CEOs move move out the the stock price goes down a little bit you know and uh sometimes uh it doesn't sometimes it does what you know whatever tide goes in tide comes out but you know, do do you think my first question, Brandon, is do you think if you are a departing executive and you leave and the stock price goes down enough to make headlines, do you think at some point you're kind of like, yeah, that's right? Like, you think you do a little uh, victory dance about your importance, or or are you just too stressed out and professional with your new job to really even? Notice? No, I mean, I think you'd have to. I think it's just human nature. Every time you leave a job, I mean, I think. I don't know the unwritten unsaid thing is like you always want the next the, the place you left to collapse like as if you were the pillar that was just mm-hmm. holding up everything in the you know and then you you have lunch with your work friends and they're like oh that that thing just it just went away but of course it never actually nothing actually happens like you yeah. leave and everything's generally the same but the Splunk one I thought was interesting for a couple of reasons one was because this this line is sort of maybe not deceiving but it sort of tells the story it says uh, Splunk stock has risen about one hundred twenty percent. Uh, since Merritt, I guess that was the outgoing CEO, um, became CEO compared with 125% growth in the S&P 500. So that's obviously what did his tenure in was like, hey, you know, the S&P 500 is 125. You're only doing 120. And I'm sure Splunk considers itself a high growth company. So so it's weird to like both have a great statistic because if you just take that in isolation, you're like, yeah, well, I was there. Like I would put this kind of stuff on a resume, right? You'd be like, yep, mm. I was there. Yep, it's up 120% under my tenure, right? Like people would love, you think in isolation, people would love that. So so clearly got caught up in that. Uh, and But the other thing that I thought was interesting about this one is that Splunk is sort of in that category of started enterprise, trying to make the leap to like SaaS and cloud, right? But it's like almost like, Companies started between, let's say, what, 2008 to 2012, right? Were kind of in, like, caught in between, right? They were maybe doing enterprise, but then they had to switch to SaaS, right? And of course, like, you have, you know, the high growth SaaS company. So I just think it's it's interesting that I think Splunk is kind of because I think of them as a relatively new company in the industry, but like it's actually uh, yeah. pretty old. And they and it is sort of like you know as we talk about in the show, like so much of things is timing, right? It's like you kind of wanted to be on one side or the other, right? You wanted to either start maybe 2002, post.com crash, 100% enterprise, get your company big, sold, whatever. And then you didn't, you didn't want to be in the, like, the, the, the morass of like SaaS or no SaaS or enterprise because everything that started maybe after 2012 or 2013 was primarily SaaS only, right? So, mm-hmm. so Splunk, I think, is, is one of those things that the company's done obviously tremendously well, but... I think that's where they find themselves. And I don't know if there's any easy answer. And the other reason I think that's uh, that was included in this note that's kind of indicative of where the industry's going is that they said one of their uh, um, president of worldwide uh, field operations at Splunk left for Okta. And of course, Okta is, you know, a 100% SaaS company. So you kind of see like the executives kind of figured that out too. They're like, yeah, time to go, time to get away from this and time to go all SaaS. So I think that's whoever takes this job at Splunk you have to figure out the SaaS strategy. That's going to be the board of directors' first question, is my guess. Oh, man! You know th- this. Is, you know, I, I, I don't think either of us does. Maybe you'll be surprising here, but I have no capability to have insight into this, right? But it, it's another instance of like, of like, man, 
Like, like, like I, 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 when you're going over that 120, 20, 120% versus 125%, I'm just imagining like some product managers within Splunk and they're like, we did, we did a great job, but, uh, for some reason we didn't get that 5%. And, <laughs> and, you know, maybe we just chose the wrong story to implement in iteration 52. Right. And, and it's just like the, like measuring against, it's just a, a, a weird system to exist in with software. Right. And, and then the other well, product managing and developing software. And then the other, the other thing next to that is like, It's maybe, I mean, it's been in front of us this whole time, so I don't know why I haven't necessarily thought of it, but but I want, Splunk is probably a good, fresh example of how difficult it is to, like, change, <laughs> right? Because, like, like, when Splunk first came out, and for many years, they were just, like, the crazy, like, scary, like, disrupting whatever thing, right? Like, they were, like, right. the, the, the major whatever, and so... It's almost like at what point is it can you not just like become a SaaS company, right? Or or like whatever it is. Like at some point SaaS companies will have to become something and they'll like I mean ServiceNow has been pretty good at like wangling through also its weird history of doing stuff. But like it it is just sort of like well one like what exactly I mean obviously it's hard and culture change and blah, 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 all the stuff we all talk about forever. But like, I wonder exactly what the issue is, <laughs> right? Like if, if structurally it's impossible because you can't sacrifice the revenue and priority in order to like take two years to re-engineer, like if that's a thing, or if it's just like these four people like don't want to do it, <laughs> well, or, it's always or, or a large like, organization it's always a combination of multiple things and and some people are pointing out here in the chat is you know we should be remiss not to say it's not splunk does have a SaaS option which you know i think we know about um but as people in the in the chat are kind of saying it's just really expensive and i think that in itself like to me like highlights the problem it's like like just yeah. like parsing the sentence right it's like oh splunk has a SaaS option versus like okta or something else it's like no, no, all they're known as the all they're known as as a service. So, like, if you're thinking about it from an investor point of view, and you want these high margins, like, you don't want to have to say to the investor class or financial analysts that, like, oh, we also have a SaaS option because they're immediately like, hmm, oh, so you're not a you know you're not the high growth superstar company because you're because it implies you have something else, right? You have this enterprise version, <laughs> and the fact that it's expensive, I don't know. I mean, I'm. A, I don't know exactly why it's expensive, but like a uh, theory would be, it's like, yeah, most of the time when you're coming from the enterprise and you do a SaaS version, it is expensive because you haven't kind of built it to, if you will, if you will reap all the cost benefits of just doing a SaaS, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah, I still yeah. got to maintain the patches and I still got to replay the enterprise. And you're kind of, the SaaS version is just like this other version of the software that you're kind of maintaining as an enterprise for all your customers, but at the same time, you're maintaining these other things, which makes it more expensive. Right. And that's why, cause you have all the overhead. So all of these things, I think it's like to your original, back to your question here is like, this is the dilemma. Like the whole organization is set up to be selling enterprise and making enterprise money and working that way. And it's not like one person, maybe everyone does want to go SaaS, but like you still have to caretake this whole other thing. 
And it's very difficult to like really make the jump. Like if you really wanted to do it, you would be like, hey, we're 100% SaaS from this day forward. Now that will freak people out, right? Because they'll put your existing revenue at Jeopardy. And I think that's why people don't do it. But that would be yeah, what yeah. you probably need to do. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean, I think, I think the, uh, I mean, that has been, I don't know if it's true, but that's what anecdotally what people always uh, have said for years when Splunk comes up is that they're expensive. And I guess what I should have been asking all these years is compared to what, right? Like, that's always a good question to ask, you know, like, is it, is it like over-serving expensive? Is it like gratuitously expensive? Like, you know, and, and I'm not dismissing the notion that it's expensive, but you know, it's kind of like another thing people always say is expensive is like Heroku. And, and that's another instance where it's like, well, yeah, but like compared to what? Like, you know, it's kind of like saying like a really good steak is expensive. It's like, yes, it, it is expensive and you get something for it. But then the question becomes like, and I guess, I guess that's the distinction to draw from is, do you mean it's overpriced or do you mean it's expensive? Right. Like, is it is it like it should you can get exactly the same thing, if not better, for much cheaper? Or do you mean just like, oh, I really would like that, like that super like, have you seen the new logos they have for the Cadillacs? Like, I want that Cadillac Escalade fully filled out with the cream seats inside. <laughs> but man, it's expensive. Like if I said expensive in that context, I'm not saying that the 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 black Escalade with the cream seats inside is like bad. I'm just saying like. That's more money than I have to spend for something I would really like. And so like there needs to be this other word than expensive that's sort of like way overpriced. <laughs> and, right. and and then so when you are in that situation, and I think I think this is like this is like I can there there probably even should be a name for this, but that when you go from an on-premise thing to a SaaS thing in the same kind of product area. I mean, there's, there's, well, there's three issues. One of them is like, you've got a technology problem that you just have to figure out. Right. But that's sort of like, that's almost like, you know, that's the vendor's problem. <laughs> like that's, if it's, it's not, it's, it's just like, that's something you got to solve. Right. And then, and then two, but then two is sort of like, well, okay. So probably structurally, the SaaS should be cheaper, right? Like, like the expectations are going to be that the SaaS should be much cheaper than like doing it on premise. Because the first thing you're going to fall into with pricing is you're going to be like, I know this SaaS pricing looks expensive, but it's just as I was saying, compared to what? Now let's bring in all the money you have to spend on your own infrastructure. And you're going to want that to be redundant. So you got to spend money on that. And then you've got to spend money on the staff that maintain this and how much we're just going to look up the uh, average government rates for salary for a sysadmin and a storage <laughs> admin. Right. And then you've got to spend, and the next thing you know, you've just created this, we you know, menu of weird stuff, right? And it makes a compelling ROI thing. And then it's sort of like, now what if I told you we could reduce that? by a hundred percent. I mean, not by, you know, like by 50%. And then, the, and then the SAS pricing, like you've anchored your pricing on something totally different than just like someone showing up and being like, boy, that's expensive. Right. And so like you play, I mean, that's what you're doing with a, a, a business case or an ROI thing is you're setting the price anchor, like on something different than people's first impressions. Right. Which is yeah. critical. And so, so you have that issue of just like, 
when you create a new SaaS version, no one knows what the fuck the anchor is, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no point of reference for what it should cost. So you've got to figure something out. And of course, the buyer's anchor is always going to be like, could you pay me to buy it? Like that's where they're, they're going to want to start. <laughs> and so right. like, and well, then but I th- think you have that. I think you have two things. You have that vector. Yeah, right? yeah. And then you also have in the case of Splunk, like if someone asked me like, Hey, what does Splunk do? I'd say like, Oh yeah, you can search your log files. Right. That's sort of like the shorthand I would do. But when you go to their website and you kind of look at like, okay, what are the business problems? Cause this would be kind of back to your thing. It's like one way to say it is product marketing has not done a good job articulating the value. And, that's, and when someone says something expensive, Another way to say that is like, we have not demonstrated the value to them, right? About yes. what it is. And so when you go to Splunk though, and I think Splunk has always fallen in this category, like I'll, I'll just read their tagline, like powering security, IT and DevOps. And it's like, uh, okay, like what, like what exactly does that mean? And what are you doing? And then of course they've got observability on here, right? The new catchphrase. So from the beginning, I think Splunk has always been like, if you got down to it, it's like, this thing is awesome at searching log files, right? And there are lots of reasons you could search log files, but there are lots of reasons that, you know, it's not that useful, right? It's not, it doesn't, if you will provide that much ROI justification. Now, of course, there's like tons of reasons. Like if you search a log file and you discover a vulnerability that you've been hacked by, you know, an external nation state force and, you know, you're um, potentially at risk of, you know, losing the entire company, Splunk was well worth it, right? I mean, it's 100% worth it. If you got uh, found some arbitrary uh, trace messages out of uh, some application that no one cares about, it's a total waste of time, right? So that I think has always been, like to me, it's always been like Splunk's difficulty is like, there's immense information in these log files that's valuable to you, right? Um, but generalizing the value proposition so that everyone can easily see that and like why it's valuable has, I think, always been difficult, not mm. just for Splunk. I just think for this category. And I think that's why, you know, observability. And I should note here, we did have someone reach out from Honeycomb. So we're going to have that person on the show here in the not too distant future. So we're going to, we'll do a little deep dive on observability, get to the bottom of that. But I think it, observability is just, is another attempt at trying to say, there's a tremendous valuable in these log files, right? Yeah. Let yeah. me show you why. But observability, right? I mean, and we'll get into it maybe when we do that interview. It's like, I don't know if it's necessarily like proving the point, but it's at least an attempt. It's an attempt to say like, I need to show you the value more. And I think that's where Splunk finds itself today. It's just like, it is really good. It's great at log files, but the value proposition is kind of left to the the user to figure out. And many people right, feel like, that's right, ah, right. not worth it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's uh, to, to use a whatever analogy i mean it's like insurance right like insurance is only valuable like when you need it and then unfortunately you have to like pay for it and get nothing until like you know you lose an arm or whatever (laughs) right like and and you know that's i think that's part of what makes insurance such a fantastic business is like you're basically like hey this is for when you lose an arm so could you spare a couple bucks right like and so you yeah you're uh people are whatever Insurance. I should have been in insurance. That seems like it'd be a great business uh, to be on the paying people who lose their arm side, not the uh, the losing your arm side. But you know, I, I mean, this kind of changes with the third thing, and I don't that I was I was thinking through, and it 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 gets to like, um, well, at first, what I was thinking, right? Like going back to the like 
the difficulties of going from on-prem to SaaS, right? I think there there's something to with that second thing, which is like, I feel like the expectation with a SaaS is that it's going to be cheaper, right? Or at least the structure of the deals you do is different, right? And so this is like a classic disruption problem where like, and this is kind of what I was saying is like, there are revenue issues with converting a company over is you just like, there's just no tolerance for being like, oh, hey, uh, we're going to lose money for like three or four years because we're actively sabotaging our own current install base. And I think, you know, there's a picture of like the CEO of Splunk on like Jim Cramer's Mad Money. And I don't know if there's enough time on a Mad Money interview to kind of throw out the nuance of like, you know, disruption theory <laughs> and that like, well, we could get bought by private equity who will just unlock all this value and then bring us back. Because, you know, someone was punching the sell, sell, sell button or whatever. But like, you got to do that, right? Like, there's this kind of like evolution of tech. And, you know, I bring them up a lot. But like, I, I, I think Adobe figured that out somehow. Maybe they were like low enough profile or something. But like, I feel like, I don't know, like, I've always wanted to do this and I never do it, which means I never will. But like, I think that the pricing for Creative Suite Online appears cheaper than if you bought like creative suite in a cardboard box like several years ago like like the, the like somehow if you were to like look at it certain ways like it seems like they're pricing it differently and maybe they are but it's like somehow they figured out this pricing issue <laughs> right like and they've converted and they're still like they're still not purely a SaaS company you actually install the software but they they've done something interesting and weird there like somehow they got through this uh this hole but the uh i mean i mean i think i think i think that's what a lot of the issue comes down to is like once like an on-premise thing is understood to be big and expensive and like lumbering and important but then once you move it to a SaaS thing it's supposed to be like easy and cheaper and better and then it connects to another bad not bad thing but another difficult thing in the technology world which is like I mean, kind of, sort of, what was really expensive five years ago should be kind of dirt cheap now. Inflation. Right, right. It's, it's, yeah, it would not, not only inflation. I mean, this is, this is like, yeah. you know, a, a computer that you buy, or like if I were to buy a software license from five years ago, the value of that software from five years ago is like not as good as like the newer version of it. Right. And so, like, and and then and then to the to the point that there's so many other companies that like have kind of come along and done the uh like you know the systems management stuff like the value of just like systems management stuff is not super high <laughs> right so like like it's almost like if if what you're doing is selling tools in the systems management space you have to like come up with new more difficult problems that you're solving and new more difficult product lines and then your base thing is just sort of like yeah like i paid a lot of money for that five years ago and why am i paying the same amount of money for it right like it should be cheaper to do and it's like not that big of a deal so you're always on this constant race of like i don't know that's five years ago problems that i've solved there why am i still paying more money for it it's much cheaper to like solve that problem now and then you're uh unless you come up with some new, some new products, your pricing is like, uh, it's crazy. And then you get people running around saying it's expensive, which. You, and then of course, too, I think situation. we should, it's not a, 
I don't think they're direct competitors. I mean, maybe other people will chime in, but you know, you kind of have all, you have the perpetual Datadog problem here. So like today, the market cap, if I'm reading this right, Datadog is just under $60 billion, right? Splunk is, you know, looks like about $21 billion. So another shorthand for this whole thing. Uh, and I think many, <laughs> many companies are experiencing this is like, hey, we're just as good as Datadog, right? Like we have, like, we've been around longer and I can probably name five or 10, right? Like we've been around longer. We did something similar. We're just as good. And I don't understand. And then, so I think all the executives, all the QBRs are like, why, why is this company like two to three times our size? And it's likely Splunk has more customers, you know, longer, longer roster. So some of it is just, you're just running across. I think you're running across that a lot. So I definitely think though, you know, I don't know. We'll have to get our, uh, some investment bankers on here. Like there's a number, right? There's a private equity number for Splunk. I don't know if 21 billion is it. Like, I don't know if it needs to drop again, or if we're approaching the, uh, the private equity firms are, you know, they've, they've finished the spreadsheets, they've done the analysis and that we will be reading in the next few weeks, they're being sold to private equity and they'll mm. get cleaned up. They'll either sassify or they'll make it all enterprise and then they bring it back to the market or bring it out to some strategic vendor and sell it for 30, 30 billion, netting out like, you know, a nice 10 billion or something along those lines. Like it feels like we're on that path for Splunk already. You know, I, I think this is making, I don't know if this is true, but I'm feeling like maybe I'm coming around to private equity and tech. I think, I think they, they there's, I think we have uncovered, not not uncovered, but we yet again, have, we probably should have started twenty years ago. But go on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think yet again we have come upon the the helpful, even necessary role that private equity plays in in tech vendor companies, which is like when you just got to say like, oh, we're, we need to take a few years off, uh, and and like not have to focus on growth, right? I think that might be a naive understanding of private equity. But like at some point, you know, there is a, there's a lot of waste that happens in the overall system just because like, you know, someone couldn't just retool and, and uh, they, they had to keep showing like crazy growth just because like, like again, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the product owner or product manager of some, you know, little team of, of a, in, in a big company like this is like, Great job last year, guys, but uh, we were off by 5% according to the S&P 500. <laughs> right. So all that work you put in, whatever. See you later, right? <laughs> but it is, it's a nice, pro I would say that, I, I, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to like somebody that really runs private equity. To me, I'm like, you know, if I'm in the room, I'm like, you know, the thing, about, if you're thinking about taking that private equity, is like, I bet you Splunk is super sticky. Like once you get it in and, it, you know, and you're yeah. using it day to day for like, if for all the companies that did figure out they needed it for IT security or some, some other reason, once it's in there and it's sort of in your workflow, your operations workflow, it's going to be there for a long time. So if you're the private equity and you're like looking at it from like an annuity point of view, it's like, yeah, this thing's going to throw off cash for a long time. Like you, I mean, maybe the, right, right, the stock right. market doesn't want it. So I feel like this is this is a nice private right. and also the yeah. fact the CEO stepped down and maybe that's why the CEO stepped down was like hey you know we want you to we're about to sell this to private equity and that person decided that's not for them so so well I mean I mean that, that 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 seems to be one model of like you know a PE thing in tech is like we've got good cash flow so basically you know instead of instead of doing quarter by quarter investing we're going to uh, take out a loan use the cash flow to like pay off the interest on that loan and then we actually do some work here so that when we re-IPO this thing, uh, we've increased the valuation for it and we can cash out 
and uh, you know the loan gets paid off, and then uh, we could kind of service it during that, and we make ourselves like you know however many percentage points, right? But like we take we take on all that, uh, not risk, but like we basically make it so that you don't have to worry about you know paying things out and making numbers and in return. Yeah, well, we take away the uh, if you will the um, the strategy tax, right? Like we're not gonna we're here for yeah. you to sell what you have, make and throw off a lot of cash. We're not going to penalize you because you don't have some great SaaS story that may or may not exist that, you know, that people in the uh, public markets want to buy. Like, you know, so it's just, you're just measured in a nice, a more, I don't know if it's fair, but I, I say a different financial way. That's probably the way to think of it. Yeah. I don't know. Still seems like it'd be annoying, but probably better than nothing. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com sdt. That's cbtnuggets.com slash sdt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. You know, I look through there, and I'm always wanting to learn Python more. And there's a lot of courses there where you can kind of ramp up into it and uh, even do some advanced networking things with Python. Other topics like that, I may go check that out when I'm done recording this. Anyhow, you can start learning today by going to cbtnuggets.com sdt. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, you know, I don't know if it's related at all, but also in the wacky world of technology, it looks like the uh, the Staples Center is going to be renamed to the Crypto.com Arena. And first of all, you know, it's got to be hard to be a sports announcer at some point where you're like, you know, <laughs> welcome back to the Crypto.com Arena. What, you know, you're you're a big sports watcher. What is the most awkwardly absurd named like arena that a sports broadcaster has to always say mm. oh wow you're putting me on the spot that's a good that's a good question i'll take some uh thinking but like does this the staples center actually seems like normal to me now but i just wonder if when that was announced back in the day i was like staples yeah. the office supply company but now like sometimes people even say like the now the sports uh commentators will often say like oh the game's at staples or like tonight here at staples like and you kind of like know if you watch enough you know if you're a sports fan you're like you know what they're talking about where it seems totally like when you take it out of kind like when they say like oh tonight we're at crypto you'd be like what like what are you talking like that sounds very awkward now but maybe in five years i'll be like oh yeah that's the crypto that and i don't know the dot com thing is a weird thing too it's like like it's i don't that feels like that that one does. It has a very dot com two thousand yeah. implosion ring to it. The fact that they're saying crypto dot com, you're like, oof. I could see them having to sell this name in a few years because everything's gone wrong, right? It just it just reminds me of the two thousand. Enrod Field was one. There's a bunch of other weird oh, yes. um, names. So I, I don't know. I mean, 
I feel like we look at the stock market, we were just talking about Datadog and others, and it's like, well, it's great. Everything's going well and people look good. But I don't know if we're just scarred because we lived through it, like that 99, 2000. It does. Sometimes I look at the 401k, I'm like, wow, this this could go down. You know, maybe I should <laughs> take some action. I don't know. I'm not sure what to do, but I'm a little worried. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering. Isn't there some stadium that's like the IntuitQuickLoan.com like stadium? Yes, yes like that, that. That that seems like it might be the worst, right? To be, you know, like, uh, you know, what? Welcome back to this uh, this stunning defeat between the the two sports teams at the IntuitQuickLoans.com arena. Like, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What what else? Other, other than that, if it was like, you know, your if there was something called like pottybuddy.com or something that was like the uh the Did the you see how much day. these naming rights go for? Did you did you mm, no would no you wanna, many, would, do you want to venture a guess of like over ten years what you would pay uh, for the naming rights to the I mean it it must be like five bitcoins. Is that how much <laughs> you have to pay? Seven hundred million dollars is what <sighs> it was. What even is crypto.com? Is is this is this how it works? Is that is the seven hundred million dollars <laughs> being paid off by me asking what it is? Well, I think so. I think well, I mean, I guess it's working. We're talking about it, so they're getting some free advertising. So it's uh, like uh, crypto.com is like an exchange for like you know cryptocurrency, right? And all those. So see, it's one I of the see. major ones. So clearly, and and then I th- started thinking about it. It's like I actually think it's you know what's funny. This is I always feel like uh, things are not worth it. Back to our conversation earlier. It's like I actually think. When you pay for these these names, like if your goal is just name awareness, right? I think it actually pays off. It works because it gets said so much in so many different events yeah, over such yeah. a long period of time. It, it is it's just like you're paying this huge marketing bill up front. So it seems like, you know, uh, it's wrong, but it's like, no, like you want everyone to talk about, you know, where they are and that will create incredible name recognition over time so i think yeah i don't know I, it, it it also it also probably you know helps move it along to seeming normal right yes. just like just like i mean i mean i i think i i don't the only reason i ever read about bitcoin stuff is you know because everyone talks about it right like so every now and then i come across it and my understanding is the new mayor of new york wants to be paid in bitcoin or something i don't know what that means that's that sounds weird but like it is it does seem like uh Boy, for such a weird thing, sure seems normal nowadays, right? So it, it's there's like this critical moment of like uh, like Bitcoin market. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Crypto normalcy, where like it's almost it's almost a normal thing, right? Like like it's still like a crazy wacky thing. Like people kind of think like programming is like programming's a strange exotic thing out there on on the uh, the frontiers there. But it's at least like a normal thing, and so I, I don't, you know, maybe you buy, uh, you buy like some stadium, right? And people are like, yeah, sure, of course you would name it crypto. That's pretty cool, right? Crypto.com. Like, I feel like if uh, maybe ten years ago something was like, you know, the Facebook arena, that would seem really weird. But nowadays, now that I think of it, it's sort of like I don't know why they don't sponsor things. I mean, they don't have to, I guess, right? But like. There's a certain point where maybe getting that uh, normalcy to their name out there uh, would have been fine. There's there's no Google Arena, right? These companies and Microsoft doesn't sponsor. Maybe they sponsor like Formula One or something, right? Tech companies have this habit. Of yeah, there's a lot of Formula, Formula One, One tech like Splunk and I think Dell and there's a bunch in uh, Formula One. That's true. 
But they're not like NASCAR or football. No, no, no. Or American well, funny enough, crypto, because I've been watching some Formula One this year, crypto.com is a sp- sponsor of Formula One. So I guess it just gives you an indication of like pretty much the most obscene money you can spend, I guess, is naming rights for s- sports stadium and F1 sponsorships, right? Because I mean, that's yeah. just, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I don't know what's more expensive. I mean, maybe something is, but that that's when you're at maximum spend because you just feel like, not only do you want everyone to know about it, but you want people to know about it who are essentially watching the most expensive sports in the world, right? That's is what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, I just like, I just can never imagine that a Formula One sponsorship for a tech company pays off. Like, oh, I it, think so. No, I actually think, you know, because the ability to take people to events, right? So you get 22 yeah, races yeah. around the world. All right, all right, you all, right, all your sales people yeah, bringing people yeah. to the great F1 suite, you know, having a great time, talking a little business. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why you're doing it, right? I mean, that's. I guess, um, I guess, I guess you're right. Like if you're a, and that's why if you're a big enough company and you've got enough, like, Mm, high seven, like low eight figure deals, you know, if not more like running around, right? Like you do like 10 or so, uh, 10 or so of those based on like uh, an F1 sponsorship, you're probably good, right? And then you also just have like the coolness of it, right? Like you can make the videos about how like your software is used to analyze like the uh, the brake pedal. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see. Last year, I think Ferrari... I think it was Ferrari did a whole session at AWS, right? And they showed how they use all the data and they showed, I mean, it was, it was fine. It was interesting, but like, that's just another like little bonus, right? To it. It's like, yeah, they're at your yeah. shows. You take your clients to their events, right? It's like, I don't know. It seems like a fun way. I, I guess maybe because I like sports. I'm like, well, we got to spend this money somehow. Might as well spend it a fun way. Uh, you know, let's go for it. Let's get some naming rights. Yeah. But I don't know. But back to, I want to ask you before we get on, we'll get on another subject in a second. It's like the crypto thing, like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just one of these things like I, I have like serious, you know, FOMO. I'm like, I'm always like, I guess I'm just missing it. I just don't like, I've read a lot. I've learned a lot about it. And like, to me, it's like, I get it. I get the speculation, but I'm, I always come back to, uh, I, you know, without any like real world use case, you know, I'm just like, I just can't get there. I'm always like, I guess I'm just missing it. Right. I'm just, or I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for that. It feels a lot like the other thing I can think of here was like, Two things like when Enron was like trading options for bandwidth. You remember back when that was going on? I was like, uh-huh. man, I totally don't understand this. I never understood it. And I was like, I just never got it. And then eventually that kind of proved that to be true. The other thing is like not to take a shot at IBM a little bit, but like Watson, like, you know, those, because I was worked there for a little bit and I always thought it, but like there were always these talk about like how Watson could do all this stuff. Right. And I remember like just like being in IBM, like, like I can never find anyone like, 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 where does it like, what, like, can we see it? Like, how does it do the cancer thing or how does it do? And it was always like these very complicated, isolated things. And so, so I don't know, maybe I'm just like picking out, I'm cherry picking examples of where like, I didn't see it and it didn't work out. So it's sort of some validation, but I kind of feel like the same thing around, you know, all of the cryptocurrency, like I get it. I get the idea of the decentralized and all those things, but it just never, it's like at some point, like we got to see people using it day to day in some meaningful way for it to come to light or we can't just keep changing the goalposts. And so I don't know, but then I'm sure people tell me I don't get it and I, I'm, I'm wrong. And I'm like, well, I, and I kind of feel that way. I'm like, you're probably right. So I, so I struggle like fighting that, that, uh, that like, if you will, internal uh, uh, mental discussion with myself, I'm like, am I missing it? Or am I just, 
am I getting too caught up in, the, in just feeling like I'm missing it or is there actually nothing here? So I guess time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like, uh, well, I mean, one, like, obviously it's a bunch of bullshit, right? Like <laughs> I think, I think you laid out the case pretty strong there now to be less flippant about it. Right. Like there's, I think the, I mean, I don't know. It's such, it's such like a, uh, uh, like a sticky pot of honey to, to like jump into, to get yourself trapped in there. But like, it, it seems like, you know, what do I know? I'm just a common guy in, in a, in a hoodie that I should have washed before recording this. But like, like maybe one day if I can use some, some crypto Bitcoin stuff to like buy my groceries, right. Then it's actual currency, right? Like I just want currency. Like there's some abstract notions of like, where do you store your capital and like things like that. Right. And like store value. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, in a bank, that's where I store my capital. And like, I could buy like the S and MP, which apparently has returned uh, 125% uh, <laughs> since, you know, since Merit was the CEO, CEO of Splunk. <laughs> looks pretty good to me. And like, and then it's like, well, and then how about like transferring money? It's like, well, I live in Europe which has proven that transferring money is a super solvable problem. It's just those stupid Americans who haven't fixed their ACH system, right? I mean, <laughs> whatever, I'm, I'm being snarky here, but it's just sort of like all these things that you can kind of pile on that like crypto and, and, and Bitcoin is going to solve is like, yeah, or, or we could just solve the problems, right? Like we could just do the things. And then so like, so then, okay, so then let's go down like, okay, we want to establish a currency. Right. And the issue is that, like, I mean, it's one thing to like, I want to buy milk with my crypto, whatever. That's cool. Right. But then I often think about like, OK, but if I'm the grocery store, what you're telling me is that I am going to actually trade a real thing for this highly volatile, always like flipping around like currency that's not even as stable as just like money. Right. And so like maybe I buy into the notion that like any Bitcoin I get now is going to increase in value by the end of the year so much that like I will happily give you some milk in return for this Bitcoin that's going to increase 300 percent by the end of the year. <laughs> in which case, why the fuck am I buying milk with it? Right. <laughs> right like just keep it right. Yeah. Like, like, well, like, I know, it, but like, we probably shouldn't get too down because I think, like, I don't we get a lot. This is the one sort of get a bunch of feedback on that we, that we don't know what we're talking about. But I, I do think, I think I just want to buy milk. That's all. That's right. The part I think is interesting, I guess, is like, like, or the part I would just volunteer to everyone's like, you're like, I don't know. Like, I have a lot of skepticism. And like, when you read Chris Dixon, like, one of the like, real crypto bulls, right? Like, you know, an A16Z partner, super smart, very rich you know, nothing but respect from him. Like he's done great things. Like, but he will, you know, on Twitter come at you with like the, all the stuff, like first you think it's a toy, then you think it's dismissive, like kind of like this disruption theory, right? Like they'll just relentlessly come at you. Like you don't get it. You're not part of like, you're missing it. Like this is another classic thing. This is like saying the iPhone, like this is like Steve Ballmer saying the iPhone will never succeed. And it's like, okay, like, you know, I just, but they're relentless at it, right? They're just relentless and pushing it. And you're like, okay, I want to be open to that school of thought, but I still, at some point, like I need, it doesn't even have to be currency. Like I need something that actually happening with it that is outside the value of just owning it. Right. And it's like, but it just feels like, even if you express that in like, 
you know, to someone that you're just like, you're just going to get to like, quote unquote, you don't get it. And it's like, so at some point you throw up your hands, you know, it's like, well, I'm just going to ride this. I don't know. I'll either break down and buy Bitcoin <laughs> or I'll just, you know, be like, man, I should have bought it. And I missed out on a ton of, ton of stock, but it's, it's a difficult thing to see. And I think the crypto.com arena sort of is like, like, I do think it's like a, a monumental moment we can put on the timeline. It'll either be the point where like, it was the absolute height and it just completely collapsed, or this was the moment that actually drove it to mainstream adoption, and we're all going to buy uh, tickets or use crypto when we go see, you know, the, the Lakers play in the new Crypto.com arena. It's true. It's true. You know, I, I mean, the whenever someone invokes the, uh, I don't know. Well, well, one, you know, like cribbing a a uh, like some Gandhi poetry to like promote your like, you know crypto stuff is is a, is a little <laughs> annoying but it's sort of like there are many people to, i i forget the full gandhi thing but like you know at first they laugh at you and then they're upset and then they like you know then you're cool I, I've, I've totally skewered something there but like it's sort of like you know i think in most cases they just keep laughing at you like there's <laughs> there's like we we always forget the cases where like laughter just continued to the grave right like there's like there's plenty of instances where it was just goofy right like being laughed at is not a signal that you're right is, is right, uh, right. an important thing to pay attention to. But yeah, I mean, who knows? It, it could be fantastic. And then uh, we've been holding on to all these dollars. And next thing you know, we're the ones, uh, you know, sweeping the milk row from from one. All right. But more day. importantly, you know, something we do know a little bit, bit about is, you know, I guess, uh, was it Netify? They raised a bunch of money, Cote. And this is, uh, as it, it, I think maybe it turns out, one of your coworkers said is, uh, um, Heroku itself isn't what people want. What, what we actually want is uh, get push Heroku main. And I think this is like, this is just a perfect summary of like, this is the Nirvana. Like, I don't, it doesn't really matter what it is. That's what the people want. They just want get push. And then by magic, everything just works. So um, you, you, you actually took some uh, look at it. Like is, is that a, is it Netify? Am I saying it right? Are they doing it? Net, are, do they Netlify. have a new solution to this? Are they the ones to actually make it happen for us? Or will we, again, initially be excited and then and then find out it doesn't do what we want it to do? Well, in a rare instance where I get to play the Brandon to, to, kind, of, to kind of explain things a little bit. Like, I, I did do some preparation, some research. So I'm slightly prepared here. Now, I actually have never heard it pronounced, but I assume it's Netlify. And they, uh, I you know... I haven't done this much research, but like I like the two things you mentioned, I think are strongly connected here, right? And 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 I think I think what's interesting. So Netlify is like a, I guess it was like a CDN, and then they came, it's a very Heroku like story. Like remember, there's Heroku, and then they came up with that wonderful. I remember when I got briefed on this, unless I'm making it up, but there was this wonderful piece of technical marketing called TwelveFactor.net, and yes. basically what TwelveFactor.net one net was was like. If you want to write an application to run on Heroku, you should do these things. And someone had the brilliant insight to, and this is one of, now that I'm thinking about it, probably one of the best instances of do not give me a vendor pitch that is a vendor pitch, but it's actually a vendor pitch. (laughs) It's like, like, you know, I mean, basically those 12 factors go over. If you want to run your application in Heroku, it should follow this. So here's a spec. But yep. they kind of removed Heroku from that picture when they were talking about it. And it was this whole, like, you know, 
And and it has become its whole thing, right? Like it's the rare chance where some marketing became the technology. Uh, whatever. I mean that in a good way. And I think, you know, my understanding of, of the, there's the Jamstack pattern uh, that you use, right? And, and essentially it relies on like, uh, and not in a bad way, like you basically statically generate a huge amount of your web application. And I guess it can be a mobile app too. And uh, you spit you spit those out onto uh, you know a bunch of CDN, so it's really fast and it's also static. And if I remember, Netlify is or used to be also a, a CDN company. So of course, you know that's the the connection to like a twelve factor thing is they came up with a pattern that that a CDN can take advantage of. And what I haven't actually done any Jam Stack stuff, and maybe I'm totally wrong in my my researching around it, but it looks like. You're now, Brandon. You must remember because I remember you were there when we were figuring out the old uh, what what was it called XML HTTP request or something like sure. how you could back when you could have like a live connection and so somehow you know if you remove all the security issues that I don't think exist anymore like basically you know you can follow this pattern where you have uh, you've got a bunch of static web pages and this is where things like it gets really annoying kind of like a 12 factor thing where like you read the 12 factor thing several times over and you're like stateless stateless <laughs> right but i'm gonna need state and then they're like ooh stateless stateless and you're like right 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 but i'm gonna know and then you know you're like oh right but i still need a database so anyways like so you have like these static pages and you know they don't have state but then you know, you're just calling, you're just calling like through uh, an API or a microservice, if you want to be fancy to some backing service, some backend, just like you would. I mean, it's like a GUI, except it's in a web page or it's like, you know, the way that I imagine a lot of uh, uh, apps work. And it seems like that I don't know anything about it, but like, that's the basic idea of like what the, the Jamstack pattern is, right? To have like a headless, a uh, a headless CMS system. And that's, that's where things make starting to start to make me a little nervous is like CMS, a content management system. Like I, I think I could implement like an online banking platform in this, but like, I don't, I don't really want to hear the word CMS for my online banking platform. Right? right. Like that's, that seems a little, little rinky dinky there, but like, I mean, connected to Heroku, right? Like it does. If you have the ability to basically like, write your application as a web page with JavaScript, right? And you can still actually like have data and interact with the web and do your, you know, interact with all these services out there. Then that does sound pretty awesome because you don't have to worry about, and this is worry is where the asterisk gets us into the whole other part of the conversation. I don't have to worry about running a database or standing up infrastructure or, or anything like that. Right. And like, I don't really have to like open up a ticket to like use Twilio. <laughs> right. Or like, or like all these things. And so it's like in the same way, and, and this is the connection to Heroku is like, it's yet another like go at what if we didn't have an IT department, <laughs> right? Like, like what, what if I didn't have to worry about like installing and configuring and setting up middleware and doing all of that. And I could just like, focus on the uh the ui layer and, and i think i mean i think that's like that's the whole thing like with with heroku and with the little cloud foundry haiku that people like to use is always this idea of like 
I want to write my application code and just like have it running. And like, yeah, I mean, of course that's what everyone wants. <laughs> right. And, and like the issue becomes like all that other stuff has to be run somewhere. And, and I think the trap is, and, and I see people do this, doing this rhetorically a lot is like, the trap is to dismiss that first dream as naive and unworthy because you still have to run a database somewhere. Right. <laughs> right. Whereas, well, and whereas I want to clarify one thing because people call me out on it. It's like, so in the, the official tweet, it's get push Haruko main and it's not having to think about or do anything else, which is very important. Right. So that's, that is the nirvana. Yeah, that's what we're trying to get yeah. to. It's like you push it and you do nothing else. And I think, what always comes down to these um, these attempts are, I think the the constraints are the differentiation. But eventually, we all turn on that, and the constraints become the weakness that takes the platform down. Right? Because if you're willing to develop everything such that it fits in this pattern, right? You're willing to adjust how you think, how you build applications, or even maybe adjust the, some of the requirements for the application, it would definitely work. But what ultimately happens is somebody will eventually decide, no, I can't do it. Like I need access to a different programming language, a different model, some right, right, infrastructure right. or something. Else. And that is the moment that these dreams die because someone decides, no, no, no. And then what they're really saying there, if we could really, it's sort of revealed preference is that they're saying, I don't want Git push. I want Git push and I want the, the ability to tinker on the side because I've just made some decision. But like, I think as an industry, like it's hard for us to like, like openly have that conversation. It's like, yeah, you know, if you live within the constraints, you will. And that's what you have to do. But people say, I don't want to live within the constraints. And like, well, then you can't have what you just asked for. Like there's yeah, no yeah. getting out of that conversation. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that, that is, uh, that's totally it. Right. It's just like, if, uh, and, and we, of course, as, as vendors are both the, uh, uh, the 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 sufferers of this and and also the creators of it the co-creators with people but it's sort <laughs> of like yeah i mean the more you want to like customize something and and that that's that's a cynical way of putting it the the let me say it both ways the more you want to customize something the more expensive and tedious it's going to become right because it's your one-off customized thing right now to put it another way the more uh unique enterprise mission critical requirements you have like the more uh the more enterprise mission critical and expensive your solution is going to be right exactly. and, and like i mean this is i think one of the maybe it's not underappreciated but like i think one of the things we don't think on enough about public cloud and this is not entirely true with you know with the the quinian like there's 50 ways to run a container in Amazon point. But like it's at some point when you look at public cloud, like it's a take it or leave it proposition. <laughs> it's like, you can't really like, you just have to take what's there. And so now again, this is not exactly the case nowadays. Like it's a lot more nuanced and there's lots of options, but like it's a different type. You avoid a certain type of analysis paralysis right when when it comes to traditional on premise it buying and customizing thing it's just like i don't know if we're going to use like s3 it does what it does like right. there's no 
we don't get to like specify all these things, right? Or if we're going to use like uh, Heroku to use that example, like it does what it does. Like we can't, mm-hmm. we can't really like customize it, and and we can, and and more importantly, like we can't. It's extremely difficult to introduce into the product management loop that there's even the option to change things. Right. Like that, that you could like change how something is implemented. And, you know, maybe if you're the CIA and you want to like have someone build a whole cloud for you, that's one thing, but it's just like, it's a lot different than the chance of like, Hey, we can do this uh, on-premise cloud native thing for you and you can do whatever you want underneath it. And, and like, it's just, uh, I don't know. That's, that's crazy. That doesn't, that doesn't work out in the long term. <laughs> it's, it's much better to just say like, yeah, we should just do this headless thing. And even though as a young programmer and a technologist, I was told you're not supposed to think this way, how about we just limit what we do based on the tools that we have? Well, at least <laughs> and, and, like, I, and I think that's the thing that like it gets shot down in the meetings. People are like, right tool, right job. We got to think about the customer. And, and you see why like, you know, this is what leads us back to the complexity. And I think what you can do in those meetings is turn back and say, all of that is true, but like, by making this more complicated, it means we're going to spend less time doing things that the customer potentially wants. So, so that's even a trade-off from, from the perspective of like, like people often position things like we're not doing what the, the customer wants, but it's like, hey, no, you know, you've just taken on so much technical debt and infrastructure that that's happening anyway, but it's happening in a silent way. And then I think on AWS, and then maybe that's a preview for next week, we'll have to make some reinvent predictions, but you know, if you think about, like, we like to make fun of AWS for the 17 ways to do the container. I like to, too, right? It's funny. It is funny when you see it written down. But to be fair about it, the reason they're doing it is 17, there were, there were, requ- there were enough demand for 17 different ways to do it from customers. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. a reflection of, like, no, this is what you as an industry are asking for. All, I mean, collectively... You as an, we as an industry want 17 different ways to do it. It's not like Amazon or AWS is doing it because they just think it's fun. I mean, they're, they're at least, you know, outwardly the most customer driven company there is. And it's like, no, this is a reflection of where IT is today. The industry cannot even agree on, can't get lower than 17 different ways to want to do this. And I think that's sort of is a reflection of kind of our industry more than it is necessarily a reflection of AWS. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, this, 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 this very topic I'm babbling around, like came up today or or yesterday or something. It's just like, at some point there needs to be some sort of like enterprise architectural movement, which is like do less and and not, not do less in the elegant way of doing stuff, but just like, Oh man, maybe we just shouldn't worry about all those little wingding things. Like, and, and maybe, I mean, the low code thing like struggles with this, right? Like, but it kind of feels like, you know, you know, to to go back to the Roku thing, it's like the the the, the not adjacent, but the related question and discussion is like, I I mean, yeah, but why do I have to think about all that stuff at this point, right? Like, I mean, if I want to just like most applications do kind of the same thing, and like, why is this still a problem? yeah (laughs) like like if if i want to have like a 50 page workflow 
that involves like five people like handling some request and filling out data, like doing someone's taxes, right? Like we've all done taxes. This is a very complicated system, more or less, that involves multiple people. It's got to be like enterprise grade and secure and compliant, all the best and worst case things. I don't know if it has to ever be air gap. So I think we're cool there, right? Like or air gapped. I think I don't think we have that scenario. Uh, but like just an individual filing even their simplest, hiring someone to file their simplest taxes has all of the complications of any enterprise stack, essentially, right? I mean, maybe not. And it's sort of like, I mean, you could kind of do that totally fine at scale with everything we have available now. And I don't know, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. <laughs> and and yet, like, it constantly is a big deal, right? Like, like on, on the, um, I tried to ask around this, you know, in my, uh, our reboot of, of the Drunk and Retired podcast, Drunker and Retireder, which you can get by going to drunkerandretireder.fireside.fm. I'm trying to see how long I can go without actually hooking up a donate domain name, Brandon. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. But like I, the, the, the show this week, I was asking Charles, I was like, so you remember like ORM mappers where you would go between like your in-memory representation of your data in your program. And then you would also have to like map it to and from a database because you got to store it somewhere. Right. And, and the whole topic of that episode was, I was thinking one morning. And so I asked him, I was like, have you programmers figured that shit out yet? Because it feels like we've had a lot of time to like basically solve that issue. And and like, I mean, he kind of, things have incrementally improved, but it's still like astonishing that it's still like a problem, <laughs> right? That like, that like just building a system to do something as simple and yet complex as like just filing taxes is is like an issue. I mean, like we have Gmail. That seems <laughs> really complicated. Work. Yeah. Like I, All right, I don't well, know. We'll see. What is it? How do you say it? Say a net netlify? Is that what is it? There's an L in there? Is that what the Netlify. All right, we'll I see. Well, we'll see if Netlify can can bring it home. I don't know. I as as all of these things, we start out hopeful, but you know, history has shown that like I don't know. It's hard. But maybe this is it. Maybe it'll happen. Yeah, this time. yeah. Well, you know, the the, the one of the I don't, again, I don't know anything about it, but one of the issues is reading through it. It has a lot of the, um, it has a lot of the, uh, there's, you know, five different stacks that do these concepts and each different little ways here, which is just like, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> right. Like, like it's, uh, that, that is, you know, as, as, as they say, say what you will, but like, that is something interesting that like, that like Docker figured out is it was just Docker. There weren't, there wasn't just like, you know, 50 kajillion different ways of doing something. Eventually it was just the one thing until everyone else came in and kind of like broke that all up. But like, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's, it's hard when you've got a concept, like I think the jams, the Jamstack thing is, and then there's like, like 10 different ways to do it all independently. I don't know. Something's a little dodgy there. Like, like it, it, it doesn't have high hopes for like finally solving the problem for everyone in the same way that having like the one technology that does it. The uh, one. Solves it. But but we'll see. I mean, it's got to be better than, uh, you know, that little animated guy going across your page, peeing and then walking back. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's it's far and above that. M much better. Do we have any bureaucracy this week, Brandon? We do. We've got a little bit of bureaucracy. We've got some jobs. So uh, Tim wants you to work as a principal architect 
uh, in commercial and medical IT. And this job is available in uh, Warsaw, Boston, or, or RTP. So I thought those are three unusual locations to have grouped together. But mm. sure, why not? Go check it out. Last week, we had, uh, I think, some jobs in Hawaii. So it is. I definitely like the fact that it is... Uh, the job posts have definitely changed. Many more locations are available than I've seen before. And then Jeffrey wants you to work at uh, Blizzard as a reliability engineer. I looked at it. So their job title is software reliability. No, it's reliability engineer, comma, software. And I was like, is that the same as an SRE? Not totally sure. I think it is. But if you went into the Slack and you asked uh, Jeffrey about it, he could explain the nuances of what that job title is is trying to tell you. Um, and then Cote, I don't know if you're still following it, but, uh, for those of you maybe new to software defined talk, uh, there's a, a Slack thread in our Slack, which you can join and, uh, it's taken on a life of its own. I guess that thread is, if you will, become, uh, the random channel for the Slack. It is now over 6,000 messages. So it's still going pretty strong. There's a lot of messages in there. I have noticed though, at 6,000 messages that like when it loads on the mobile, it's, it's a little flaky. So I don't know if that's my client. I don't know if that's Slack, but like we, I don't know if we're finding the upper bound of like how many messages you can have in a, a single thread on the free plan, but we're, we're 6,000. It's still working pretty well. Although I'm seeing some signs of degradation. So if you would like to join that thread, go uh, sign up at uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com. Just click on the Slack you can join it and uh, you can't see all 6,000 messages because many of those have like, you know, scrolled back in our free plan, but, but, but a lot of them are there. So, so check out the thread and congratulations to everyone. That's part of our ongoing low testing of, of Slack. They need to, uh, uh, you know, I wonder if they've heard about the Jamstack pattern that relies on <laughs> CDNs for rapid delivery of, uh, of your application content. <laughs> that would be, they should, they should look into that. that. Maybe someone from Slack will, uh, they can chime in. They can let us know. Let us know if they've, if they solved this problem for us. That's right. That's good. Well, uh, I mentioned the conference that I, that I spoke at last week. It was good. And also we have, uh, uh, in January 17th to 20th, uh, there's that conference. And, and I, I had, I had a reason to look through in detail the, uh, there's been a lot of talks announced and what's going on there. And they, they accepted our talk to do a recording, Brandon, and, uh, they accepted another talk I have. So I haven't, I haven't gone and clicked submit yet or submit. That's funny. Uh, Except, confirm, right? Except, mm-hmm. but yes, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll be doing that in, unless I come down with like, you know, some other, <laughs> some other malady that persists into there, which, which will be fun. So we'll have to plan. We'll have to do some, uh, figure out the time and plan some live recording. That'll, what could go wrong, Brandon? We, I know that you have enough equipment. So yes, we, we, we do can definitely handle that. we got wires and, XLRs and um, probably even. I can some... assure you that we'll have a lot of audio equipment that's not working correctly at the VAT conference. Hundred percent. Pro- if the... that's not reason to attend, what I mean, what else can we offer? Do you, <laughs> do, you have, do you have one of those boxes with like the 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 green, yellow, and red lights bouncing up and down that you can slide things up and down? Do you oh have yeah, one of those? I got the mixer. I got that whole thing. Okay, I got the mixer. mixer. I got microphones. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure the audio team at the VAT conference. I'm sure I'll. I'll ask them to do some stuff and they'll be like, no, we can't do it. I'm like, yeah, we can. We just got to think okay. a little bit. Okay. Well, I, you know, if it went, once I confirm my travel to there, you know, we have got, we got a bunch of stuff in storage there and we have a house here. Here's, I'm going to need to rely on now that one of the great things about our audience is, you know, when we make jokes about how bad transferring money in America is versus Europe, 
much of our audience is like, I totally get it. I know what you're saying. They're very, very cosmopolitan, very international and cross-border, right? Do, many people suffer from the same uh, unfathomableness of global SIM cards. Why, why can't I just get a Google Fi SIM card if it works globally and I have to be a U.S. resident? I don't understand. Like, what, why do they care? <laughs> I'm sure, you know what it probably is, Brandon? It's probably uh, some policies somewhere. I, can't, I was going to say came money up, laundering. It feels like it's always back to like, uh, oh, that's a money oh, laundering yeah. problem. That's always that's the answer. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I, uh, I was talking with some government people today, and, and they made me realize uh, an important formulation about rules and policy. And that is that most of the time when people are blocked or saying they can't do something because of a rule... It's not because of a rule, it's because of someone's interpretation of the rule, which I think I, I only have a bachelor's degree in philosophy, so I can't analyze that further, but I think that's an important thing. So anyways, relying on our cosmopolitan audience, this is the first task I, I need solved for me, right? Now we have, uh, you remember Matt Kinman, right, Brandon? Of course. For our, for our wedding, he gave us a Cuisinart mixer, you know, the, uh, that, mm-hmm. the a highlight of any kitchen now. That mixer is in storage, but it has an American plug on it. And I feel yeah. like this is one of those devices, right? First of all, they don't, I don't even know where you would buy that over here, right? Like It's like, it's like maybe I should uh, order up one of those GE Profile Nugget ice makers to bring oh, up too. But like, now we're talking, yeah. But know. like this is one of those devices that I think I need to bring over here, but I'm not an electrician. So like, I feel like I'm going to need to buy some sort of fancy converter to go from the American plug which I still believe is far the superior plug. I think I've outlined the reasons before, just mechanically. But to go from that American plug to a European plug, and I feel like I can't just use like a plug adapter that I buy at the airport. So I don't even know what to search for for that, but I need someone to give me advice on the, uh, the thing. that All I All right, I so I think we'll nail it down. So I think it's like you need to go from, what, 120 volts to 220 I don't European, even know. And this is, I don't know. So the answer may be buy, buy a European version, but they probably uh, don't. you probably already tried that. They don't either don't sell them or they're expensive is my guess, right? No, they have them. They're just not the Cuisinart ones. Not the Cuisinart. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's, uh, I'm sure there's but, an adapter. There's an adapter for everything else. So there must but be But you know, I mean, there. Brandon, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do whatever it takes. 220, 220, 221. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, so that conference is coming up. You should, uh, you should check that out. And, uh, I think uh, there's a lot of conferences, you know, being planned for and uh, done next year. I was talking with with my uh, my manager about one she's looking into. So hopefully we have some more uh, announcements there. Now with that, first of all, as Brandon said, there's a Slack channel you can go join. All sorts of good stuff going in there. You can follow all the uh, the articles that we talk about and don't talk. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, uh, look up in the Slack that well, look up in the the uh, what do they call those? A menu bar. Do the kids still say that when they're doing a headless stack? Look up in the menu bar there and you can click on Slack to join that and all sorts of other stuff. Now with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Well, my recommendation is maybe for those who are going to come to the, that conference and going to visit Austin, uh, I want to recommend Interstellar Barbecue. So that's uh, it's up here in Northwest Austin. It's actually um, was opened by the person that started Noble Pig. Remember that one, Cote? This was a long oh. time ago. You I love I, that guy. Uh, you and I actually yeah. went to Noble Pig a, a couple times. A couple it was right. Occasions. It was right in my neighborhood. I would go yeah. there all the time until so, I was like, well, I'm pretty not, sure if I eat here more, I'm going to die. Yeah, it's so so good. <laughs> um, 
Fear not. Inter- so Noble Pig, unfortunately, is closed. That's itself a, a tragedy of another story. But Interstellar Barbecue is opened uh, in one of the formerly uh, one of the former locations of uh, Noble Pig, and I think it's excellent. I mean, you know, there's the whole Franklin's thing. I have really never had Franklin's the correct way, where you go down there and you get it and you eat it right away. I've always had it catered in some type of event, and that, you know, it's just been okay. But I don't know if that's Franklin's fault. It's just sort of like. You know, too much time has passed, but Interstellar, I think, is excellent. It's also easy. You can just go in there. You don't have to, like, you know, just go in and order and eat. There's not, like, this crazy line or something like that. And uh, um, maybe we'll uh, leave it to our friends over on um, the hallway track. They can analyze the barbecue for us. But I thought it was excellent. Very moist turkey, very moist brisket. So if you're looking for some barbecue uh, in Austin, I think it was ranked pretty highly recently in one of these various rankings. So, Check out Interstellar Barbecue in Northwest Austin. It's very good. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when and if I get there, Brandon, like any barbecue would be good. We'll go to Bill Miller's <laughs> and it'll be a revelation. It'd be, it'd be great. Have you have you been to Bill Miller's in a long time? No. No, I have not. Hmm. I wonder but, what uh, that's like nowadays. I don't know if they even have that in Austin, do they? You probably have to go to San Antonio to find that. No, I think it's around here. It's just... Uh, yeah, I've been like Style Switch, Interstellar. And those are the places I've been hitting lately. I'll hit Rudy's every once in a while. That's why I think Rudy's is uh, it's good for because it's so close. So yeah, all of those are are you know pretty regular stops. Solid and friendly. All right. Well, my uh, my recommendation when I had the uh, when I had the crazy fever, uh, it, it gave me the opportunity. I had to be laid up in bed for a while, so it gave me the opportunity to finish a book I had started uh, by uh, Graham Greene. You might remember him from all sorts of famous things and uh, called travels with my aunt, which is a book that I found, you know, one of these penguin books. I, uh, I found it at one of the thrift stores around here. I think it was uh, 99 Euro cents, which I think that's like, what is that? Like $5 American. I, I, I forget what the exchange rate is, but uh, it's, it's like uh, it's got the, it's, it's a great book. Cause it's like, it has the, uh, the tone of a Graham green book, which is uh, what is the tone of a Graham green book? The tone is sort of like, is like slight, like just barely wry, kind of mysterious, like Britishness. I don't know. Graham Greene's got a particular thing going with it, but it's like on a totally different subject than he normally like writes about. He normally writes about like spies and intrigue and stuff like that. But this one is about this guy who just like meets an estranged aunt and she's quite the character and she likes to travel around and get up to hijinks. And uh, it happens in like 1969. So there's like some hippies and like some, you know, like pot smoking, like for, for, uh, and it was written in 1969 or so and happens then it has this very staid British banker person. So it's a, uh, it's from that era of uh, the, the old world of the, the 20th century, like meeting up with the, uh, the later half weirdness of the 20th century and uh, all sorts of yucks and jokes. And it's pretty short too. And also, I read it as an actual physical book, which uh, was very rewarding. I think I think uh, that's something nice to go back to, to 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 read the book there. It does remind me though that I need to have a bedside lamp. That's <laughs> the whole system has been built around a phone, and uh, you realize the limitations of that. Well, with that, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode and see archives and everything else, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash three three zero three hundred and thirty uh then you can find them and with that we'll see everyone next time bye bye
Is that my stuff beeping? <laughs> oh, I know what that is. It's, Hold it's on. your house. It's your home. What is that? I don't know. Now we're... I set this alarm. Uh, <laughs> For the recording? Yeah, in case I fell asleep. 